Louise McSharry on 2FM. Well, we have talked about RuPaul's Drag Race a lot on this show, whether it's in our pop culture panel or just generally talking about the brilliance of Bimini Bamboulash. Um, however, there are still some people who haven't entered into the RuPaul's Drag Race universe, which is shocking given the fact that it is literally an all-year-round television bonanza now. Um, I thought it might be good to talk about RuPaul's Drag Race, where it came from, how it came to be the powerful TV extravaganza that it is um, and who better than to speak to Kean Sullivan and James O'Hagan who are the hosts of Sissy That Pod a podcast that recaps how the show goes uh, like all of them I, I don't know how you guys are staying on top of this there's so many now mm, neither do I to be perfectly honest with you <laughs> it's quite a lot absolutely yeah. it's non-stop we've got to the point now we've had to merge a few of the international series into one episode <laughs> yeah. so give us 20 minutes on Down Under and then 20 minutes on Spain but it's, it's very much like UK US they're like the big the hitters main ones. they're the main yeah. ones that people are, are, are tuning in for and the mm. international ones bring a bit of flavour to it but they're yeah. the ones you've got to keep an eye on but the thing is you haven't even just got US you've got All Stars as well so it yeah. is just yeah anyway look that's that's neither here nor there. I'm not complaining. I'm very happy <laughs> to have a, a drag race to watch all the time. Um, but as I said, there are some people who aren't on this train at all. So with them in mind, maybe one of you could say a little bit about how RuPaul's Drag Race began at the very beginning. Yeah, so I, I suppose, actually, it, it's a really nice story, I think, because it kind of comes out of something that a lot of the best art and best sort of, particularly queer art, comes out of, like, taking a risk and looking at something that kind of is, like, a little bit out there and being like, oh, I think there's there's an audience for that. Mm. And so back, kind of, I think it's 2007, 2008, RuPaul, like, we know now RuPaul as this, like, behemoth, this sort of, like, massive celebrity star. But at that time, he was in a bit of, like, a he was in a, he was bottoming out a bit. He had just and a self-produced star booty movie which honestly not great <laughs> and the guys from World of Wonder who were the same production team that were behind the likes of like Adam and Joe back in the 90s and always like that offbeat sort of thing saw him and thought you look this drag is an art form that other people can appreciate and will be able to kind of get something out of so we yeah. need to bring this to the masses and obviously the show's in the same format of your likes of your top models or your project runways or your top chefs so it's, it's that format taken and I think what has made it special and what has like really resonated with people is the fact that it's sort of queer art made by queer people for a queer audience. So there's really authentic because oftentimes when you get gay stories told, it's through a prism of like for a, a straight audience and it doesn't necessarily get to be as authentic as it is. And I think it's telling those stories, taking that risk that really has just like really, I suppose it's, it, that's where I think it, the, um, that's where the beauty of it came from and that's where the attachment to the show came from. Yeah. And I think just the colour and the amazing storylines and the amazing contestants as well, just get into your head, the quotes, everything about it just yeah. is so magical and colourful. And also yeah. you have to do a full range of things. It's like a decathlon of talent. Like you don't just have to look good and be funny. You have to be able to make your clothes yourself. You have to be able to craft jokes, do stand up everything yeah. yeah it's the toughest competition on TV as far as I'm concerned oh, and 100%. I'm including the Olympics yes yeah. <laughs> like ultimate hell week the yeah. only Whatever. thing the only maybe the the what's it called um, the Olympic pentathlon maybe, maybe. that's that's yeah. like yeah. The, I feel like that's the Olympic equivalent yeah. because you have to be able to do loads of different things and, and there's loads of like, variables about what's going to happen on yeah. the day <laughs> it's very hard yeah. but I think you know what you mentioned there about it being kind of obviously it's based on that format that let's just say ANTM format yeah. or whatever um, but it's had its tongue firmly in its cheek from mm, day one hasn't time. it the yeah. whole time yeah. yeah the way RuPaul constantly like infuses his music into it just to try to get you know push his music out there to people who actually want to listen to it apparently to the way they <laughs> unseamlessly bring in their product placement like oh, it's... It, it's across the head they bat you across the head some of the editing 
has been tacky for the first few seasons. But you know, in the last few years, they've really tried to up their game. The Emmys came knocking, and then they decided to take it more seriously. Yeah, they were like, right, we've got to, we've got to put out like we need, we need like um, Heidi Klum budget now. We've got to, we've got to get out there and start <laughs> maximizing. But I do think that's another thing that makes the show really relatable is that it's not taking itself too seriously, yeah. and it's not trying to push for kind of like breaking the contestants down. Oh, sometimes it does break the mm. contestants down, but it's always coming from a place of love and a place of support. Yeah, <laughs> um, I suppose that's what you mentioned as well that the contestants are obviously a huge part of the success and you know because the show has been on for so long now I mean what is it 14-15 years like it's it's obviously you know at times it's I think I think it seemed as slightly strained as you know sometimes you can see the producer's hand when someone sits down and says so your mother tell me about her (laughs) you know one contestant to another but you you have really gotten some really beautiful moments there's been beautiful moments of people coming out as like HIV positive people you know people talking about being abandoned as children the rejection that a lot of queer people experience in their families you know and all of that is very sincere mm-hmm. it, it absolutely and I think that it, it brings those issues to the table in a really relatable way and I think that one of the reasons that the, it's I suppose become more mainstream is that a lot of the topics that it's touching on and talking about are topics that everyone can relate to it's yeah. that feeling of rejection that feeling of being the outsider that feeling of not fitting in and that also like uh, as part of these conversations it's always in a setting of people who are in a community together who love each other who are supporting each other mm. so it's about being able to be vulnerable be insecure share the things that are that, that sort of make you worried or that you're you're not happy with and then having the support of your, your peers around you and I think that's one of the beautiful things in, in Drag Race I mean especially in, in terms of the way it's spoken about gender and gender identity over the last number of years yeah. I think they're starting now to have a, a better conversation around sort of fat phobia and, and like size is, is starting to become something that they're maybe taking a bit more seriously but I think it's pushing the conversations forward always and it's, it's giving the viewer food for thought yeah. wrapped up in like a spandex glitter package yeah <laughs> like I would say like you know the main the main category is a drag reality TV show but the subcategory is psychology you know Rue is basically like your oh, therapist he while you watch it he'll sit <laughs> yeah. there he'll give you terms like your inner saboteur and how to be comfortable at yourself and how you're powerful when you're vulnerable which are things that you just eventually can soak up through osmosis and use in your life so yeah. there's definitely a bit of self-improvement while you watch it yeah and I think as well it's you know what you were saying there about the fact that you know you're talking about people who belong to a community mm-hmm. and um, therefore you know obviously you get loads of delicious drama where people like hate each other there mm. and they don't get on or whatever but there still seems to be at the root of it even when they're not getting on there's a love there yeah. and a connection and a bond that that is kind of undeniable and that's very unique to this program isn't it yeah I, I actually that that's one of the things that, that when I was thinking about it ahead of time kind of like how you how you sort of digest it down into like what it is that makes it special I think it's like because a lot of sort of a lot of um, my straight friends who've gotten into watching over the last while their initial reaction to it was like oh they're so cruel to each other they're so mean to each other and because they are shady and they are like tearing each other apart but it's it's that sense of being part of a group of people who accept you at the very basic of who you are and who you are as a person so it doesn't matter if you're taking the piss out of them or if you're having a bit of a hissy fit and you're calling someone something yeah. unspeakable on the off camera the fact of the matter is you love that person for who they are you accept something yeah. that so many other people reject from them so there is that baseline of love underneath all of the shade <laughs> Yeah What do you think of the fact that this show as you said began very much as a queer show for a queer audience and now it's gone so far beyond that I mean there are so many like millions of straight people now who are heavily involved 
I see some straight people who frankly have tried to adopt liking Drag Race as a personality, <laughs> which I think is a bit excessive. But it is so successful beyond the queer community now. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? I think so, because like we mentioned, those mirror moments, those stories are great because they get them out there in front of everybody. And yeah, of course, we have said it's a queer show for queer people, but it is mostly just queer men. And the show definitely has been lacking in its its opportunity to get women and, and, and other sort of gender identities out there. And it's gradually getting there, but it is mm-hmm. a bit behind the behind the times. I yeah, I, I think it could be a double-edged sword. I think as long as no one sort of watches the show and thinks, oh, I understand the queer experience now. Right. Then that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, as long as you understand, like, this is like, this is a, a heightened television version of these particular individuals' experience. As long as you aren't kind of walking out then into the middle of the George and being like, I belong here because <laughs> I watched Drag Race. I'm one of you. <laughs> 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 These are my people. Yeah, exactly. Listen to me tell you how to drag. Yeah. But unfortunately, like we live in a capitalist world, and if these queer people are going to be able to be able to, you know, make a living for themselves after they've been kicked home out of home from their parents, they'll need some money. So if there's more straight people going to drag for shows, and that's yeah. only going to yeah. be better for I, them. And, and, I, and with that, I do think it's about being respectful in the spaces and understanding mm-hmm. that those spaces that like they have a hist- they exist in those queer spaces exist as a safe space for people to go at a time in a time when they weren't safe to be themselves yeah. outside of it so knowing that now it is safe for queer people to be queer wherever they want to be queer for the most part in Ireland um, and those spaces aren't as sort of relevant or required in that same way anymore but they're still very sacred so it's like Mm. you need to be respectful and understanding that like watching Drag Race is a brilliant way to learn and understand more about the queer experience but like get to know queer people and make sure you're always being respectful when you go into the spaces that sort of belong to them Mm. It's interesting you brought up the fact that there have been improvements in terms of representation there's been more non-binary people um, or you know gender fluid people on the show in the last number of years uh, which I think has been brilliant and we've mm-hmm. seen some brilliant conversations yeah. around that and certainly I have to say helpful for me as someone yeah. who is cis and you know I've never questioned my gender fortunately I, I feel like I have been lucky to have yeah. that straightforward journey mm-hmm. um, and it's been really eye-opening to see you know for example last in the last season of RuPaul's Drag Race UK where we saw two you know gender fluid people discussing some yeah. of the challenges that they experienced like that was really eye-opening yeah. and of course in this year's series there's a, a, a cis woman yeah. absolutely yeah Victoria Scott is the first assigned female at birth contestant yeah. and I just fascinated by her and the new point of view she brings uh, should I not be saying cis now is assigned female at birth no, more correct I think cis or afab or I, I, don't, I don't know whether a fam assigned male at birth is yeah. like because I hear afab a- but I don't hear the yeah amab I don't hear that so much but I think that either are acceptable you're okay good good to know but yeah I think it's always important to check in on language because it changes all the time yeah no it does I just heard her call herself afab well I heard it yeah I heard her say that too but the reason that I bring it up is because my husband turned around to me and said, what do you, what do you, I mean, I know it's not our business, but what do you think about that now? What do you think about a, you know, an AFAB woman being on this? And I was like, well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, was like, I don't really think anything about it. I don't think it's my place to think yeah. about it. But I suppose it, it has made a lot of people question, you know, what what is at the root of drag? Yeah, well, it's an important question for the franchise because RuPaul got himself in some hot water a few years ago because he said he wouldn't permit a transitioned trans female compete in the competition. For Ru, it really, like he comes from the old school world of drag. It's a lot about female impersonation. It's a lot about going from a man to a woman. Yeah. And 
it seems he was of the opinion that if you don't have certain parts, you have more mm-hmm. of a competitive advantage. An advantage. Yeah. Whereas when you watch the show, it really isn't about what you have between no. your legs. There's so no. much other talent yeah. and charisma you need to get across. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at the end of the day, Victoria Scone can bring it. She looks great. She's incredibly funny. That's all you really yeah. need to be on the show. And she looks like a drag queen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like yeah. that, and that's, that's the thing, I suppose. It's about bringing, like it's amplifying your personality in that sense of being a drag queen and making yourself sort of that caricature that is a drag queen and having the energy and the I suppose the the, the vibe of that and she brings that in spades mm-hmm. and like you have I suppose it, it's interesting looking back now with Rue's comments around kind of like oh I wouldn't allow people in who you know, weren't male or male presenting while they were, were signing up for the show because actually that links back to the old pageant culture which was also very kind of linked into this idea of like you, you couldn't sign up for particular pageants if you'd had kind of surgical enhancements because of this idea that it gives you an advantage, an advantage. Mm. but now we've moved past the point we understand like no it, like drag is about personality it's about presentation it's about being fun it's about being able to like bring an audience with you you on a journey yeah. and I mean the, the the other thing as part of the, the conversation around Victoria Scone which I found kind of uncomfortable was the fact that like this is actually a lesbian woman yeah. mm. so it's like this, this it, like I mean not, and I wouldn't have any issues with a heterosexual person doing it but it's like this is actually a person from within our community yeah. that we're saying oh no you, you don't belong on this stage and yeah. I think that people who had that opinion probably need to reflect on it check yeah. yourself exactly and when you're doing drag you're not just becoming a, a woman you're as Rue would say you're becoming a goddess like you're not yeah. just doing somebody who might be going to work in their car and stuff you're becoming someone on the red carpet yeah, yeah it's totally different oh yeah like I remember when I very first started going to drag shows I was in the George like every Sunday from tw- age I don't know 23 to 27 <laughs> um, and I remember just feeling like I can't compete with this <laughs> these are we are not the same like and the, having that realisation of like no it's not that at all like yeah. it really mm-hmm. isn't like female impersonation as a phrase is so inaccurate yeah. when you know you're talking about something that's so different and I know that you know historically there have been you know certain sections of feminism who've complained and kind of suggested that drag was offensive to women and that it was kind of you know uh, taking the piss out of them but it's mm-hmm. not is it like no, it's, it's no. something entirely different it's a celebration of identity and a way that you feel about yourself and like putting a, a, a sort of channeling a part of who you are into a character in order to entertain people. I mean, mm. it's it's the same as any other entertainer that has a particular form or way that they that they choose to to perform. And, you know, I, I suppose it's it's great to see it becoming more and more diverse. And it's mm. brilliant to start seeing sort of people from different with gen, different gender expressions. It'd be great to see a drag king, actually. I was just going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that there's there's kind of a place for that? Uh, well, there should be whether Rue will allow it because again, yeah. he's in this female interpretation impersonation mode. I'm not sure, but there's a, a similar drag competition show called Dragula, which is kind of more of geared towards the spooky side of drag, uh, and they've had drag kings on their show before mm. as well. So there definitely is. There's every space in drag. Whether there's space in drag race, it's hard to know. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, from for me, f- having watched it for you know, I've w- I've actually watched it since season one, as you guys know, because I've been <laughs> yeah. on your podcast. Um, because I had that just, I just love drag. I have mm-hmm. since I very first, the very first moment I ever saw a drag show, I was like, oh, I love <laughs> this. Um. But, you know, so much has changed about the show, even in terms of some of the terminology that they use and some of the wording. Like the show has kind of dragged RuPaul, I think, you know, into maybe a more progressive place than he might have been if there was no RuPaul's Drag Race. So who knows? I I think as well, like that is the the fan base has a large role to play in that. I mean, the fan base, it's it's sort of like a bit of a yin and a yang and that there is like there's a very negative part to it with some of the racism and the misogyny. But there's a huge positive side to it and it keeps RuPaul accountable Mm -hmm. 
mm. to I suppose the community that he's decided to make his fortune of and to make sure that he's always like expanding what inclusivity means and expanding who he's sort of like bringing on the umbrella and who he's giving the opportunities to and you are right because you've seen them change the terminologies and they've made tweaks to the even in this uh, in this most recent season they changed the wording of the introduction song to from from the best woman win yeah. to the best drag queen win to like yeah. make it that mm. little bit more inclusive and there's lots of people who fear change and they're like oh my god this completely undermines the show for me but the reality is, is it, it's a small thing you don't even notice but the people who need to see it or hear it they do and they feel more included because of it and that's really the most important thing yeah, yeah. ladies and gentlemen is off because it does include you know non-binary identifying people so now it's just drag queens and yeah so there's yeah. been lots of tweaks yeah. and actually a point this to James's point earlier on about the difference between a, a woman and a drag queen I guess is drag queen for the show the variety that's on the show is I feel a real celebration of femininity especially yeah. within men like when I started watching the show I was quite a young gay guy who was kind of struggling with his femininity and I never used to like idolize feminine gay men but the show totally changed my point of view on the power of embracing your feminine side I think you can absolutely you know really make you question well what is gender and you know this part of me is a feminine this part is masculine let's take them all yeah, and I actually think that's a really important point is that it has, I think, allowed the gay community to start celebrating the feminine within it in a, in, a, in a much more authentic and real way and start sort of allowing people demonstrate that femininity and mm. celebrate it and see it as a part of our power rather mm. than something that we need to be ashamed of to try and fit into a particular mm. masculine box. Because mm. I would have been the same when, you know, you, you initially are hearing about drag. Like, I remember the like old school people being like, oh, do you want to be a woman? It's like, no, it's about kind of, you know, it's about performance. And you never feel more, I, I've done drag a couple of times and you never feel feel more empowered yeah. when then when you're when you're standing up there on the stage in the George wearing a pair of heels you're like this is like this is me at my most powerful fully glammed up yeah. <laughs> what's uh what's your drag name Sarah Monan <laughs> incredible incredible well I'm so sad that we have to finish up because I could truly talk Mm. to you guys about drag I I could talk to anyone about drag but especially (laughs) you guys because you really know what you're talking about Um, of course Kean Sullivan and James O'Hagan are the uh, hosts of Sissy That Pod you can find Sissy That Pod on all streaming platforms from Spotify to Apple and if you want to watch RuPaul's Drag Race and you haven't dipped in it's on Netflix and the UK series is on WOW Presents which is World of Wonder the production Mm, teams or the production company's uh, streaming service. It's also on BBC One in not oh, the same yeah. day. It's like 2am on like a Sunday morning. So set it up to record, tune in. They're really just like <laughs> throwing us a very old mm. bone there, aren't yeah, they? they are. They're like, the, the memes have come and gone, guys. Yeah. We need it before that. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> wants to go back and watch old episodes of UK because all the US ones are on Netflix. It's on Virgin Media Player as well. You can oh. get season one and two there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Keanu James. Louise McSherry on 2FM.